good morning, saints. Good morning, morning y'all sinners. We're all here, and I'm so happy. It is good to see everybody this morning. Um, I was doing a little research on 110 years ago, and just for a fun fact, 110 years ago, the south fork of the New River was finally completely dredged out, out to the intercoastal. The intercoastal was finally completed all the way from Jacksonville down to Fort Lauderdale. Uh, it, it, they got it done back 110 years ago, and if you think about that, that's quite a feat. And then I discovered 110 years ago, there was a lottery held in Fort Lauderdale for people to come and get land that was still underwater in the Everglades. The Everglades, you know, just about a mile from here, the Everglades began, and they were auctioning and giving out, you know, plots of land for people to live here, and they're still swamp. And it's still happening today, isn't it, you know? <laughs> well, this morning as we get on uh, for another 110 years as we move forward as a people of God, I want us to uh, just take a moment and remember where we have been the last few weeks uh, in the story in Luke, we have heard the story of a guy who threw a party and all the guest list didn't come, and so he compelled the everyday folk from the side streets and alleys to come on in and enjoy his feast. Last week, we took a look at Luke, and it gave us an understanding, Jesus gave us an understanding of God's reckless, incredible love for us, but the challenge for us to follow him, it was high, and he used hyperbole to make the point. This morning, we're shifting to Luke 15, and all of this is building up for Luke. In Luke 15, we have three stories of lost and found, and today we have two of them. You've heard them before. A lost sheep, lost coin, and the third story, which is some other, some other Sunday, is the lost son, or the found son. So friends, hear the word of the Lord, Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, now all the tax collectors and those sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious establishment of the day, were grumbling. And they were saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus told them a parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than, other, than over the ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. And Jesus went on. He said, Now what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. 
Just so I tell you, Jesus says, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. Okay, so this morning, we've got to get it in our minds. Jesus is doing rounds with the ensconced religious status quo, telling two parables in similar structure that speak to two items that have been lost and found and then celebrated with a party. A single sheep and a single coin. Now, if we are not careful readers, we will fall into Luke's slate of hand in this story, and we will focus on that which was lost and found, but totally miss the point of the parables, which are actually about the character and ways of God. It's not about the sheep, it's not about the coin, it's about the character of God. The first parable about the lost sheep is, in and of itself, quite puzzling. A shepherd has a hundred sheep, one goes astray. We read how this shepherd left unprotected 99% of his capital in order to recoup a potential 1% loss. He left 99% of his capital, that is his sheep, unprotected to maintain that 1% potential loss. Think about that. The shepherd is willing to risk the entire flock of food, clothing, sustenance that those sheep would provide, all for the sake of one dumb sheep. And add to this very real possibility that the entire flock of sheep are not even the shepherds to begin with. More than likely, uh, you see, he was hired to do the grunt work for the owners. Shepherds back in those days were cagey and suspect group. People didn't trust them. And all, in those days, it would be the, um, they would be standing there at the labor pool downtown, and, and the owner of the sheep would say, I need you, you and you, come. You're going to watch my sheep. You got one job. One job. Watch the sheep. One job. Watch the sheep. And what does our hapless shepherd do? He leaves the entire flock behind. He goes and looks for that one, that, that potential only 1% loss. You know, even businesses today have a certain percentage that they just write off as loss. This is just one sheep, and he's leaving all of this unprotected. Now, what if the sheep's owner decides to pop in and see what's going on? He sees, yeah, my sheep, they're looking good, but where is the shepherd? He had one job. He's not here. You would be livid. He's not doing his job. He's exposing my entire flock, my sustenance, my income, to danger. Where the heck is he? Then there's a story of the woman. A woman who has lost 10% of her savings and then tears the house upside down to find it. And like the shepherd, she is dauntless in her effort to find that coin. She stops everything she's doing. And she is a holy terror looking for that coin until she finds it. What does she do? 
she throws a party. So what are we to make of this story of a shepherd and a sheep and a coin and a woman? What are we supposed to get out of this? What did Jesus tell these stories for to begin with? Jesus is surrounded by a group of people that we would call, you know, those people. Those people. The first century lowlifes of the day. You know, those people. A bunch of tax collectors who were despised by the everyday Jew because they felt their fellow Jews had sold out to the Romans and were extorting money. And then, who are these sinners? You know, I, lo- I love how we're not told what kind of sin they did. or They're just sinners. We just kind of lump them all together. The best way to understand who those sinners are is I want you to think, who, what group or what person or type of people pop into your mind immediately that just wrinkle you, that make you go, Ugh. that just kind of make you, man, they're just bad people. Who's, who comes into your mind? Think about your neighborhood. Think about the city. Maybe it's the homeless guy working the intersection at Broward and Federal, holding that little sign that's reused by all the other guys that stand at the corner. Maybe, maybe it's those people who voted for Brandon. Maybe it's those people who voted for Trump. Maybe it's that illegal alien, you know, that undocumented worker, that migrant who's in our midst and by gosh, he's leeching off the system. Maybe it's the dishonest developer who used inferior products in building your condo and whose neck you want to wring right now because the building is beginning to show wear and cracks. Maybe it's that group that is other sexed than you, and you just can't understand why they are who they are. Who are the people you and I count as sinners? The beautiful trick of this parable is it plays, it plays on us a trick that whoever we think the sinner is in God's sight, whoever we hold up to be the sinner in God's sight, we immediately place ourselves in the same category and get in line behind them. I mean, after all, who are you and I to determine who is a bona fide sinner or not because we choose who they are? We, in our own hubris, declare ourselves sinners as well when we do so. Yet along with the sinners gathering around Jesus to experience Jesus are the grumpy, grumbling, stodgy, uptight, religious old guard who are complaining off to the side and griping, you know, we've never done it this way before. And it's at this point the power of the parable's point comes crashing on top of us. Jesus is telling the uptight religious leaders of the synagogue who have never done it that way before that they have a pretty small view of God. 
Yeah, what idiot would leave 99% of the capital investment unprotected to go look for that one potential 1% loss? God would. God would. And furthermore, who has the audacity to compare God to a woman tearing up her house looking for a coin? I mean, Yahweh, the creator of all who is and was and is to be. A woman? Who would do that? Jesus did. Beloved, the wonderful, winsome news of our story today is this. Jesus is describing a God who is not vengeful, wrathful, smiteful, going around with a bag of bolt and lightning to smite thee. He's not doing that. Jesus paints a picture of God that no one expects. He's painting a picture of God who will go in search of that stray sheep like you and me. God will illogically leave the 99 unprotected to find the one who is lost. And the power of this parable is that as we hear this story, we think sometimes that we are one of the 99 that are, you know, back here and in good shape. But friends, truth be told, each of us, all of us, are actually the wayward one. Each of us, beloved, are the lost coin God is anxiously searching for. God, my friends, is the lover pursuing His beloved. And when His beloved is found, they are brought back to the community where a party is thrown. added back to the purse where the rest of the money is kept and valued. You see, it's not just that we are rescued and found about me and my salvation. It's about our being found and then reintroduced and reconciled back to the community. Back with others. For the sake of me? No. For the sake of the whole flock. I'm rescued, brought back home for the sake of all of you. Because we need each other. The party over, the coin is found, is not just about the coin, it's about putting the coin back in the purse which makes the whole purse more valuable. 100 years, 110 years ago, God began this church not on this location, it was down off of Andrews. Andrews or First, I think, down near Broward, that area. And God has been using this community of faith called First Presbyterian Church for 110 years to search out that lost, wayward lamb in our midst and bring him or her back home to the community called the church. My friends, Fort Lauderdale as a community would be diminished if it were not for this church 
being a part of its warp and weft in genetic history. We've been shaping this community for 110 years. This morning, as we come to the table, we are joining all those saints who've gone before us, all the people who have provided for what we see, all the people whose voices have molecularly changed the walls in this room for the voices. We're having dinner with them, with Jesus. And today we come to celebrate their hope, their faith, their efforts as we pledge to add ours to theirs and go look for the lost, wayward lamb. In the name of the one who is, who was, and is to come, and all of God's people said, Amen. Pray with me. Holy One of God, we come this day to give you thanks and praise. We thank you for this opportunity to come and be with you, to be with one another, to come and celebrate this meal, this very simple meal. Its simplicity reminds us of the true simplicity of our faith that we in our human ways try to make so complicated. Lord, it's just about love. You gave yourself to us in love so that we may give ourselves to others in your love. Lord, we come this day. We thank you for this bread and this unfermented wine. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would make for them, make for us the body of Christ. Lord, that you, in, in the midst of this meal, in some way that's so beyond our understanding, we are lifted into the spiritual presence of Jesus at the heavenly banquet table. All the saints who are of this church who've gone before us, who helped establish and found this community of faith. Let us break bread with them in the presence of Jesus this morning. Lord, help us to be alert for the wayward one in our community, in our life. May this meal encourage us and feed us to look for that lost coin and bring it back and put it back into the bank where the investment can grow. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. Friends, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, He was with His closest friends. They were distressed. Something was up. They could feel it. And Jesus said, My beloved, no fear. No fear. Where I go, I go and prepare a place for you so that where I go, you will be with me. He said, listen, this is the bread of my body, which is a new promise between God and all you people. And in this like manner, Jesus took the cup. And he said, my beloved, this is the cup of the new covenant, the new promise sealed in my blood given for you. And the Apostle Paul reminds us that as often as we eat of this bread and drink from this cup, 
we proclaim the life, death, resurrection, and the coming again of our Lord Christ. My friends, the people of God, the meal for the people of God. Take and eat. The bread, this is my body, which is for you. And in like manner, this is the cup of the covenant shed for you.